Hello and welcome to Not For Nothing. I'm Kyle Leon Henderson and I have with me again today, Ethan Howard Ham. Hello. Hello. Um, today is sad for me because... Um, Why are you sad? <laughs> well, yesterday we lost a legend. Um, and you know, old people die. That's that's a fact. But, you know, and, and once a legend becomes old enough, you're like, well... She, they got to go sometime. But, you know, it was just sad because somebody that was really, really important to me and my inspiration for doing all the things that I do has died. Cloris Leachman, she passed away yesterday at 94. And she, you know, she was, they, the, they said it was natural causes at home. It wasn't COVID or anything like that. But I don't know. It just, it made me sad because she was so prolific and not only that, she was scrappy in the fact that she just took many different kinds of roles. I was just kind of looking at some of her achievements here. Um, but first, I mean, we know Cloris Leachman from everybody has a different show. They know Cloris Leachman from, they know her from the Mary Tyler Moore show. They know her from, some people know her from the facts of life. Some people know her from uh, Bride of Frankenstein. So, and one of my performances that I loved of hers was the Beverly Hillbillies. Um, when you think of Cloris Leachman, what do, you, what do you think of? Mary Tyler Moore is definitely the first thing that comes to mind for me. Um, I have to say, I know, like, I'm aware of just how much she has done. Uh, I haven't seen most of it. Um, I saw, obviously, Mary Tyler Moore. I also, one of my favorites, uh, my, one of my favorite appearances of hers was on Kathy Griffin's My Life on the D-List. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where she was described as being distracted by air. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where she gets distracted by carpet or walls or air. Or air. <laughs> yep. um, I was looking at some of her achievements because I knew that she was really well uh well established, well and well awarded for all of her work. Um, so I was looking at her awards, and of course she won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in the Last Picture Show. When and for that movie, she also won a BAFTA award, um, Best Actress in a Supporting Role. She even won a Daytime Emmy for the Woman Who Willed a Miracle, Outstanding Performer in Children's Programming. She won a Golden Globe Award for her work in Phyllis, the spinoff of Mary Tyler Moore, um, and her Primetime Emmy Awards. It's interesting. She won uh, one for Outstanding Single Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role in A Brand New Life. I think that's a TV movie. And then she won Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy for Mary Tyler Moore Show. But then she won Outstanding Continuing or Single Performance by a Supporting Actress in a Variety or music show for share the show on called share it was a it was a variety show that share had kind of like the sunny and share show but just share and she won again for mary tyler moore and then she in the 80s she won for performing on the screen actor screen actors guild 50th 50th anniversary celebration Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series for Promised Land and then she won two Emmys for her work on Malcolm in the Middle so she has oh, won. Oh, that's right. She was in that show, wasn't she? <laughs> she I didn't, was. I never really watched that show. Um, but yeah, and I remember her from, you know, playing Granny Clampett on the Beverly Hillbillies movie. Um, and she just, she's been in everything. Like she was on Girl Meets World. But what's interesting is, and what gives me inspiration is, I was just checking out her little old baby filmography. And when I say baby filmography, they had to separate it into three categories because she did so much work. Television, movies, and television movies. Because <laughs> she did a lot of them. And the last television movie she did was in 2006. And then the last television um, work that she did was for Mad About You, the reboot. She was in 10 episodes of that in 2019. And her films, she's got two coming out this year. Really? That will be released after she's dead. Well. And so what that tells me is she worked and she worked until she died. She just worked, 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 and then died doing what she loved to entertain. Another show that I know her from is um, she took over uh, the matron character on... The Facts of Life, Mrs. Garrett. Right. 
she left the show, I think either one or two seasons before the end. And the whole show was a spinoff about Mrs. Garrett and Mrs. Garrett left. So then it became about the girls and they were led by Cloris Leachman. So everybody in the business has a Cloris Leachman connection. Um, so it's just fascinating. And, and, you know, she was, I described her in my post earlier yesterday. I said she had the comic timing of Lucille Ball the grace of Grace Kelly and the biting sense of humor of Joan Rivers. And I'm just like, that's who she was. She yeah, was pretty she much. Was, and she was a consummate, I don't know, nuanced actor too. Like I remember um, the first joke I ever saw of hers on, well, actually it's one of her very first funny moments on the Mary Tyler Moore show when she comes down bubbly She's, you know, Mary's upstairs or downstairs neighbor. So she comes up and she's like, Mary, Mary, I have good news. And then her daughter told, told Mary like, so-and-so called for you. And then she just deadpanned her own child and she held it and held it and held it. And then eventually the studio audience began to laugh and then they laughed harder and then they laughed harder and then they laughed harder and then they died down. She's still staring her child down deadpan. And she goes, Bess, that was mother's news. <laughs> and then the audience erupted again. And she's still staring down her child. And she goes, that was mother's news. Like she was heartbroken by her own child because spreading gossip and spilling the tea is what Phyllis loved to do the most. And I, there's just no other actress that could have done that. Just held it. Just held that and those curls. Those curls that she had on that show, so beautiful. You can probably number the actors who can make an audience continue laughing, doing truly nothing. Nothing. On one hand. And yeah. she was one of them. Mm-hmm. And she did that a lot. Like, she she has this face that, um, like, when she and Rhoda would, would get into arguments, she would just give Rhoda a look that would just be so... Hilarious. And to her credit, uh, Valerie Harper could do the same thing with her. And they were they were comedy gold, the two of them. But what's interesting, too, about her is she got kind of a late start. She was 40 when she kind of came to be known and everything because she's got five kids. She raised children before any of this. Uh, success came to her, and then she just went for it. So I just, it, it's sad to me when we lose someone that, changed the face of entertainment whether people know it or not she did she she brought something that wasn't here before in a way so i just i love to talk about the people that we love and we also um lost another legend earlier this week larry king passed away of covid so yeah that was a to me that was a big shock and he wasn't as old as cloris leachman but i mean that's who was Betty White? Yeah, exactly. Um, She's so, always the one you think of, you know? Oh, so, you know, that's the joke. We got to start worrying about the world we're going to leave behind for Betty White. Yeah. You know, it's it's been a year already of losing some legends. And, you know, I was just, I, I wanted to take a moment to talk about them and especially talk about Cloris Leachman because she was one of those that really hit hard. Um, like Robin Williams for me and John Ritter. You know, and Valerie Harper, when she passed away, that was a big moment. I, I was very sad about that. So let's take a break real quick and get a cup of tea. And then we'll talk about something that we were going to talk about last week, but ran out of time. Sounds good. <laughs> So something has come up in conversation in our house this last couple of weeks. And we were like, you know what? Let's talk about this on the podcast because it might actually inspire some other people too. Uh, do you want to talk about it first? Yeah. Um, this is something that has kind of been lurking in the background for me ever since the shutdowns began. Back um, in March of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, almost a year ago at this point. Um, but you know how people say one way to uh, to deal with stress is to just keep yourself busy and distract yourself from it. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I apparently decided to do that by traveling back and forth to Alabama Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we shut down. And when I say we, I'm talking about my industry, uh, the beauty slash personal care industry, um, because of the close proximity that we uh, have to deal with people. We shut down pretty early. Um, I think we were probably one of the first amongst the restaurants and the bars and stuff yeah. to be shut down. All of us were kind of like, oh, okay, well, this is a very serious thing and we need to just deal with this and rally and get this taken care of. And then the numbers started to improve and we thought we were good. And then we got back to work. And then a week later, we got shut down again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked a total of three days before we shut down again. And something about that just did not sit well with me. And I said, I got to get out of here. And I had already been toying with the idea. You were, you were, you were pretty stressed. Like, yeah. I mean, and I don't want to, I don't want to downplay your stress or diminish in any way, but it was, it was one of those moments where the stress didn't fit the moment per se. And it was, so it was clear that it was a moment. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like the house was on fire. Well, in my head, I was kind of combining three things. I was combining the which, COVID situation. Which you have a tendency to do in your oh, life. Yeah. You're like, everything is conspiring against me. Well, it's not that it was conspiring against me this time. Yeah. I have done that before. <laughs> um, but I was kind of thinking about COVID and and just Trump doing what he did. And uh, the racial upheaval that was happening yeah, around the same time. It, 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 ha- it started during the summer with all the, the Black Lives Matter demonstrations and, and marches and everything. Yeah. Um, and us being here in LA, we were at probably one of the epicenters of all of that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I just was not able to compartmentalize it all. It was all just one big jumbled yarn ball in my mind. And you be- stress, can I talk about that for a little mm-hmm. bit? Like you, I mean, that's what we're talking about. You, basically. What I mean, the, the specific stress of black lives matter. Oh yeah. You stressed about like you, you worried me a little bit, just how much you were fixated on your part of that. You felt such pressure to do something that I don't think anybody in your personal life was pressuring you to do. Like you felt like you felt some guilt about not doing enough, but then you felt fear about going out because of COVID and violence that could have erupted. And, you know, and all of the people close to you were like, you don't have to march. You don't have to, you know, but look, and looking back now, I understand where it was all coming from because it, it was a moment. It was a watershed moment for this country where it was not a grassroots movement anymore. It was a movement. Right. And you were stressed out about that. And everybody in your life was that you were talking about. It was like, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to go out. We all know what your opinion is, but it, it, it added to the stress. It added to it for you. It did because, and I'll just talk because on, I'll, I'll just speak I'll on that briefly more on that too. Like Sarah, she, she, protested she went to mm-hmm. some protests in alabama and mandy i think she went to some protests your best she friend did. yeah or at least she was she was getting she was ready yeah. she was preparing to and i myself worked for a company who wanted us to make a statement so they sent out t-shirts and we're gonna wear these to work every day and i had started toying with the idea i have a friend who i've been in communication with and um they were saying you know there's a big march in hollywood do you want to join come with us, yada, yada. And I was like, maybe super, maybe because, you know, I want to, I want to be a part like, like Martin Luther King says, we, we don't remember the shouts of our enemies as much as we remember the silence of our friends. And, you know, that was on my mind, but I sort of knew that every person had to make their own individual choices. And you, it was on, it was weighing on your mind with people around you having a kerfluffle, about it all and making their own personal choices. Yeah. I was struggling with it because I knew what I was not comfortable with. I knew that because of, like you said, threats of police violence and also world um, pandemic, world pandemic. I didn't want to go out there into the world and do anything. And to be honest, this is also a large part of why I just abruptly dropped out of any kind of social media and still haven't come back Mm -hmm. because 
Yeah, because I knew you that had... that was I knew in my soul that that was right for me was to make it known in that public way via social media how I feel and what I and, and what I'm saying about it. This is where I stand. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, as somebody who tried to be involved in the best way that I could, I you know read all the articles and I followed all the accounts that you're supposed to follow to keep up with the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. and the various sort of branches of that tree. And everywhere I looked, I saw messages of your social media posts don't matter. This doesn't matter. You're not doing enough. You're you're a you're a fake ally. And messages like that, you know, and and, and I don't I don't appreciate that cynicism, and and I don't know it it is well a neither fine, do I, but it's a fine line because we as white people don't right. get to tell people within the movement of Black Lives Matter you're doing it wrong, but at the exactly. same time, social media does matter, and I I just I I respectfully disagree that making a statement because I made plenty of statements on my Facebook that let everybody know where I stand. And I had people writing to me from Alabama, asking me thoughtful, insightful questions, wanting to know more. And so I did, I did some change, you know, it was four or five people Mm -hmm. tops. Yeah. But that's four or five people who might take those conversations back to their dinner tables in Alabama. So it I don't agree with that one hundred percent that social media wasn't doing enough. Well, I mean, that's the thing. In my logical, rational brain, I agree with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But But in the moment, all I knew was (laughs) the people who I wanted to show my support for were telling me that I was not. Right, and, and, and it's easy for us to sit in January 2021 yeah. after an insurrection on the Capitol and after Joe Biden is now our president and after the pro, the demonstrations have cooled down a little. It's, a, it's easy for us to look back and say, well, this is how I feel because it was a hot summer. Yeah, It was a hotbed of activity that summer of 2020, and yeah. we will tell people about that for the rest of our lives. And I just want to make it clear, too, that I'm... I'm really not trying to make this a eh, poor me moment because well we're getting somewhere yes because this isn't even really the point of what we're talking right. about but today. I just wanted to make that clear because yeah. like I mean you can speak to this we were in the car headed back to California when we heard about the insurrection mm-hmm. and I just couldn't stop screaming in the car oh it was making me endlessly uncomfortable well because <laughs> I was just like how many peaceful Black Lives Matter protests have we seen people get mm-hmm. hurt at yeah. And then this happens and they just step back and let it happen. Anyway, we don't anyway, talk about move that. Move on, move on, because this is a happy um, episode. <laughs> so, or at least a thoughtful episode. It's a thoughtful episode, yes. Yeah. I was having some anxiety and some stress about that because I worried, as somebody who at some point would like to have a small, tiny name in an industry that I love, enough for people to follow me and know who I am on so on like Instagram or whatever. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I love his stuff. It, I really was considering you looking, looking forward in the future and getting to that point where somebody digs through my history and says, oh, all he did was post a black picture, like, like a black square on his Instagram. He didn't do enough. And that's the furthest thing from my mind in the moment. Um, but I didn't know what else to do. So I mean, you were, you were, you were having a crisis yeah. of yourself and that's, you, you had to get out of town. And, you know, we we are in a space where where social media matters so much in the very heart of the moment. And it, it still matters. I think it matters more than anybody would care for it to matter. Yeah. I mean, but I, think I don't because think of it the, matters nearly as much as people give it credit for. I agree. I think because of the insurrection, we're starting to think, does it matter too much? But in that same vein, in our day-to-day lives... I always, you know, I heard about people who would struggle with their own um, self-confidence because of things they would see on Instagram. And I would kind of think, oh, just don't give it that much attention. But I see it now. Like, Mm -hmm. I see how people can just... Because, like I said, in my logical brain, I know that what I'm seeing on social media, even if it's not changing anybody's mind out there, the fact that I was there and said it when it was happening in the moment placed my stamp in history for Mm -hmm. that. But because I saw a couple of people saying that that didn't matter, I spun this yarn in my head. It was all it took. Just a couple of people to say, this doesn't matter enough. Mm -hmm. So. All that to be said, you left, went to Alabama. I went to Alabama and took a break for like a month and a half. Well, and then after your break, you came back. And and then that's when my dad passed away. So I had to go back. I went to Alabama. And then we got that. You went for six weeks. 
We got we had two weeks together. I went for a month. One of those uh, weeks of that month, you were there as well for mm-hmm. the funeral of my father. And then over Christmas, we went to Alabama yet again for right. yet another month. Yes. In 2020. So there was a quarter of 2020, now that we realize it, was spent in Alabama for both of us. Yeah, exactly. And even when we weren't in Alabama, we had other stuff going on like your dad and Mm -hmm. various things. Um, So almost a year into this pandemic, we are now back here at home in California. I am faced with, like I said, this thing that's been going on in the background for me, and I don't have anywhere else to run from it. Mm -hmm. So now I have no choice but to face it. And... What I've been really struggling with is my job and what I do to make a living for us also happens to be something that feeds my soul so much. Mm-hmm. Like it's probably the number two thing in my life that feeds my soul the most. Mm-hmm. The first one is obviously you. Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, and I haven't been able to do that substantially. Like the gr- over the course of the past almost year, the grand total of time that I've been able to do that is probably like a week's worth, you know, Mm -hmm. I've had to deal with the fact that because I don't have that going on, I kind of don't have anything going on. Yeah. And that's something that I never gave energy to, uh, that I don't really have a lot going on for me personally. I've, I will say I, I'll take the credit or the blame. I've put a little bit of pressure on you because you have started to ramp up into this space of like getting frenzied again. And I said, look, you've seen me over the course of this last year. I've started studying French. I've started writing a a screenplay. I have started doing improv again on a, on a weekly basis. Um, And then I told you, I said, but there's all these other people out there who's learning to bake bread and they're learning to crochet and they're learning to, play guitar they're doing things and i said you're not giving any attention to anything other than the things you don't have in this life right now and you got to find a hobby like i kind of put that on you i was like you got to find something to bring yourself joy and stop wallowing in the fact that you can't do your job right now because and the reason i have i felt safe to do that is because we've had a safety net of money coming in through unemployment and through government you know stimuluses and stuff like that so we're okay financially so i'm just like you got to find something else because you've tied everything you've got into your job and you're and you're now seeing the effects of if the one thing that brings you joy is taken away from you you got nothing so you got to find more yeah and that's been really hard (laughs) Mm -hmm. like I, i don't know you wouldn't think that finding a hobby is a difficult thing to do but it's been hard for me like Because I sit there, I don't know, for me, the first thing that I think of when I think of hobby is something crafty, like learn to crochet or learn to sew or learn to cross stitch or like stuff like that. Things that you do with your hands. Well, and And I am so bad at all of that stuff. No, let's be honest. You choose not to do anything that you don't automatically have a proclivity towards being good at it anyway. Well, my joke is always I made a C in high school art. And people are always like, you did? And I was like, yeah. And it was not for lack of trying. <laughs> well, you know. Like you my projects literally were not close enough to the intended results to be graded an A. <laughs> right. Well, and you are. Everything you have tried in your life, really, that you've succeeded at, it was because anything that you have success in, it's because you were good at it right mm-hmm. away. And you you had a moment where you just walk away from anything that you weren't automatically great at. And I want to kind of focus on that for just a minute because I feel like that's kind of a message. And I don't think it's a wrong message that we're told these days is, you know, if you work at what brings you joy, you'll never work a day in your life and, and then there, follow well, your bliss and the world will come to you. <laughs> right. And so. I think a sort of maybe unintended consequence of that message is if you are doing something that you're struggling at, then it's not meant for you. So don't bother. And I mean, I'm not trying to brag, but I am a person who is good at several things. And I managed to find a way to make good money doing something that I am not only, not that I not only have a natural proclivity for, but also just adore it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always been in, in, endlessly grateful since I came upon that. 
But now that I cannot do that right now, I'm faced with this fact of, oh, I not only have to fill my days with something to avoid going crazy, but it's probably going to be have to be something that doesn't just come naturally easily to me. Well, and you know, and to me, I feel like that you're seeing too, that you need to, you need more than one thing in your life. Mm-hmm. Like you're, cause eventually you don't know this yet probably, but you will eventually burn out on even the one thing that you love and the one thing you're doing now, if you don't have something else also. Like you have to be able to take a step back and give your attention to something else and just work sometimes. You well, have to do that. Well, I think now is a good time to bring up this theory that I've had for a while now mm-hmm. about how people sort of organize their lives. I like to think that there are five key factors that people sort of put their attention to, and that's family, loved ones, like significant other or something like mm-hmm. that, work, personal life. And for me, that means things like hobbies. Like, what do you do in your own free spare time? Mm-hmm. And friends, friendships. And I feel like most people only have enough space in their, within themselves to put focus on three of those things and maybe half of another thing. But there's always one thing that you're not going to be able to put your focus on if you think about it. For me, work has been a major part of that. And my work has been taken away from me. So I don't have any choice. I can't put focus on that right now. Mm -hmm. So instead of balancing that scale out by moving that focus to something else, I just didn't focus on anything. Well, and because so you I don't, think that that kind of threw me off balance. I'm going to I'm gonna say, I'm going to throw a few things out there that might be, you know, touchy. But you don't, like, go out a lot. And you do keep your circle kind of tight of friends. Mm-hmm. And through stories that will not really be told in too many details of th- this podcast, our circle got very small this year. Yeah. <laughs> because I kicked two of our friends to the curb. And to your point, um, that didn't... I mean, the stuff that led to that bothered me, but the shrinking of our circle didn't bother me at all. Exactly. And it bothered me a whole lot because I sort of, I have, I'm one of those people that, you know, if we're going to go with your theory of, um, the five focuses, I do pretty good to catch all five in a lot of senses. Like I'm pretty good at giving my attention, spreading myself in a space where I can give attention to everything at some point, maybe not equally, but I do, I do. I mean, we've been talking about this. There, there's things about me that I just, I have a discipline that a lot of people don't have to wake up in the morning, go do something. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, I would say that you are very good at putting a lot of a focus on your personal life uh, sector of that graph. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of people, including myself don't do. Well, it's because everybody, I mean, they say you say you know that everybody needs a work-life balance, but they don't really believe it. They don't believe it, or they'd start right. practicing it. Right. You don't believe it, or else you'd have a bigger social life, and you'd have a bigger personal life, and you would have some hobbies. So that are outside, that are completely opposite of what you do for your work. What's interesting about that is. To me, it seems like you only need a, or it seemed like you only need a work-life balance if your work is draining you because you have to find some way outside of work to be able to recharge yourself so that you can will yourself to go to this work that you're not really enjoying. But because I enjoy my work so much, I was like, I'm good. I don't need a work-life balance because this is, I'm okay with this being my life because I love it so much. And that's when coronavirus right. decided to show you a different message exactly. of, well, all right, you put everything you've got into one thing. What if you lose that one thing? Yeah. You've got nothing. Yeah. And that's where we left you. In a similar fashion, I think some people may put all of their, you know, eggs into their relationship basket. And then if one way or another that relationship ends, you got nothing. Mm-hmm. On and, the I positive- say, and, and not to be too cryptic, but I'll say I, that that could apply to me a lot. Personally, mm-hmm. I think that could really apply to me a lot. And so now I'm in a place where I am giving my attention to other things. Pretty, You know, I'm dispersing my attention now mm-hmm. even more than I had before. Yeah. So on the positive side of all that, there are some really great things, I think, that I've learned as a result of all of this. Such as? For example, um, it's been sort of a back burner uh, wish of mine to learn... Uh, to speak Japanese. 
mm-hmm. for a while. Again, just never really gave much attention to it. I got all the time in the world now, and Duolingo is free. Mm-hmm. So well, I sat down one day and I was like, you know what? After we had these conversations, mm-hmm. uh, and you're you know studying French, you're on your what 80th day in a row now. Seventy third. Seventy third of of using the Duolingo app, not sponsored. Um, <laughs> to do to to practice your French, and I thought I can do that with Japanese, and apparently Duolingo just fairly recently added Japanese, so oh, good timing, they? yeah. So you'll start to see a lot of changes as it develops. Then, yeah, it's it's okay now, but it's a little buggy. Sometimes. They'll figure it out. Yeah, like they they've done that with every language they yeah. add. They have to figure it out a little bit, um, and some people hate it. Some people think it's not even useful. I I tend to disagree. This is not an episode about the merits of Duolingo, so we're not going to get into it. Well, I that's like the it. Thing. I think it's good. That's the thing. It's that's part of it for me. Is I tend to make my opinions about things very quickly and very solidly mm-hmm. and to your own when i was very often sometimes <laughs> when i was and when i was practicing japanese through duolingo it just didn't seem like it was anything that would work like in a way it was just it was doing beginner level japanese on duolingo is like when your teacher gives you a multiple choice test and also gives you the answers on the board Mm-hmm. you're like i am not learning anything from this i'm just being given the answers and clicking through the questions so my first instinct was to be like this is dumb and stop but i fought that instinct mm-hmm. i was like you know what again i've gotten all the time in the world if july rolls around and i go back to work and everything is opened again and we're starting to get back to it and i haven't learned lickety split of japanese then who cares because i lo- i lost nothing from trying this mm-hmm I stuck it out. Because pra- there's also nothing you were pulling your attention away exactly. from to do this. So I was practicing, practicing, and I felt like it was starting to actually click some things. And then I got to the next level on the app. And I was like, whoa, I don't know what this means at all. So then again, rather than quitting, I was like, I'll just go back and do the first ones again. Because you can do that on the app. You mm-hmm. can just replay levels again. So I redid the first few levels. And then I went back to the new level again. And it was clicking for me. Yeah. And I was like, huh, well, what do you know? This method well, and this, actually works. This is another thing that I wonder who else listening does this. I wanted to learn French, so I've been learning French. French is Latin-based, and yeah. all Latin-based and Germanic languages, like English is a Germanic, 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 Germanic language, um, they follow sort of the same principles of, of structure, sentence structure. There only there's slight differences. Like for instance, in Spanish and French, they put the adjective after the the noun, so it's like the bus yellow, or the woman pretty, or whatever. But it, you can wrap your mind around that pretty quickly. You wanted to do a Japanese language mm-hmm. that has no correlation to the English language. They don't even use what is it called the um, the Arabic. Uh, alphabet is that what ours is i don't think so but i don't know what it's called or it's called something but it's totally different yeah it's got pictures instead of letters that you can arrange to make a sound it's pictures that make sound so that is something that i've noticed you do you um also you go to the hardest thing there could ever be and then (laughs) try it and then in correlation to that, you have a, a mechanism by which you make opinions very quickly and permanently. And you're like, well, this is stupid. So <laughs> you're really having to fight all your instincts here. Yeah. And I think that's the point, you know. Mm-hmm. Other people maybe spent this time to, like you said, learn to bake or learn to sew or whatever. I spent this time learning how to fight instincts that did not serve me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you you really do back yourself into a corner at times. Um And also, I'll say, again, not to get into too much detail on this front, I've been putting a ton of pressure on you. Mm -hmm. Do you want to speak about that? Well, be more specific. I just, I'm I'm like, you, I'm like, no, get to it. Do something. Figure it out. Because this panic, this, this, you know, circular pattern of panic every few months when your job isn't going correctly, I'm like, I'm not doing this again. You need to find more in your life. <laughs> please, yeah. please figure it out because it's it's clear you need more than this job, obviously, because you haven't done this job in a year. I mean, I guess I would agree that you're putting pressure on me, but I also 
to say you're putting pressure on me makes it sound kind of negative. And I think that's a healthy thing for a relationship to do. Mm-hmm. For some, one person to say, hey, you're creating this pattern that does not work for me to live with. So we need to figure this out, you know? And by we, I mean you. Well, yeah. We. <laughs> like, you need to we find need a to figure like, this out. And, and it was so baffling to me. It was so baffling to me because this is how you and I are an odd couple, differently wired. Like, just to have the world at your fingertips you have to pick something to fill your day and you have all the time in the world to do it. It just seems so exciting to the point where I just keep adding stuff to my life. I'm about to order a crochet kit where I can crochet dolls of the golden girls. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, this is so exciting. Try something new. I'm going to do crochet dolls while I play the guitar and speak French. Maybe I'll make little French mime dolls and sing French songs with my guitar. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it just the world as at your fingertips to be able to just decide what you want to do with no consequence because the world's not moving outside. You know, it's like you're not devoting time to something that will be a waste of time because there's nothing going on. It is dead space. It's dead radio air. And you get to just choose. And I'm like, that seems so excited to me. You're like, it's overwhelming. I don't like this. Well, I think, um, and I'm not necessarily putting all the blame on this thing that I'm about to say, but I think it is part of it. We as a society, especially here in America, I think, Mm -hmm. don't put a lot of uh, value in experimentation. Um, Or creativity, creativity. for that matter, because every time you turn around, they're taking more and more money away from the art programs and schools. Again, under normal times, like without world pandemics shutting economies down. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you were that person who was like, this month I'm going to learn the guitar and the next month I'm going to make crochet dolls and the next month I'm going to do this thing. People would be like, what are you doing? Get a job. I don't know that they would because that's how Mandy is. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying that. Right. I'm not saying that nobody is like that, but I feel like the world, quote unquote, looks at those people Mm -hmm. and judges them and says, what are you? You're not contributing to society. You don't, you're not supporting your family. You don't have a job. You don't do this, that, and the other. Yeah. Like, I feel like that is a non, uh, that is an undesirable lifestyle to live to society at large. Yeah. I feel like what is expected of you is to find something that you're reasonably good at, that you can work and make money and then go do that and don't ask questions. I, and again, I don't because, know if we have time to explore that on this episode, but I'm like, where did that come from for you? Like where? Because... I've always wanted to be an artistic person who had artistic proclivities. And, you know, I, I, and I think an educated person who knows about balanced education knows that you need the art programs and you yeah. need home economics and you need a well-rounded thing that includes art very much, art and music. That's why we take art, music appreciation in the ninth grade in Alabama, at least. I know we yeah. do. Um and I just, I'm like, where did that come Wait, did from? Wait, you, t- you took art appreciation? No, music appreciation. A music appreciation. Well, still, I mm-hmm. didn't take, not in, not in my school. Well, I went to public school. <laughs> um, but yeah, we took music appreciation. And it was, it was very valuable to me, that class. You know, everybody thought, ugh, music appreciation. Like, everybody, that was the attitude about it. Mm-hmm. But I got in there and I was like, I love this. I have an appreciation for that. And now that I go to the church that I go to with plenty of professional classical musicians that go there, I have, I don't, I mean, I'm not an expert. I'm not even somebody who can hold my own in that conversation, but it, I, I hear the conversations and it makes sense to me because of my ninth mm-hmm. grade music appreciation. And it just, it, it makes me wonder where you got that sort of notion for your life. But again, I don't know. We I don't mean, really have a lot of time to discuss well, that. All I'll say to that is like, I, I'm an art lover of all kinds. Like mm-hmm. I love music of all kinds um, and visual art. Like when in, in college, one of the classes that I actually did well in and enjoyed was art history. Loved that class. I don't consider myself to be an artistic person. Am I creative? Yes. Do I enjoy, like I enjoy writing. I consider myself to be a person who is able to be creative, but I think creative and artistic are two different levels. I hear people sometimes in my business saying like, doing a good facial is an art and it makes me cringe a little bit because I'm like, I don't know if I would say there's anything artistic about this because to me it is very formulaic. 
more art, more than I do have creative tendencies, but I'm more well, than that. Art a very, is formulaic. When you go into music, if you want to be a professional musician, you have to know the the language of music. You read the notes. You see the the bar. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you you know the the different types of you know like three fourths or six six eighths timings, and you know these things, and you have to understand the formula like well you don't have to but it, it helps you to become a better musician if you can listen and you can just hear the beats and know and feel the timing on in your body like to just to learn that stuff and you know everything's an art form if you make it an art form well yeah maybe it's more accurate to say it's a matter of art is in the eye of the beholder mm-hmm. because to me it's like oh a facial isn't super artistic i'm just Putting the things where they supposed where they're supposed well, to go, and I wonder if there's any musicians who are the same way. Like it's no big deal. I'm just putting the notes where they're supposed to go. But to everybody else, they're like, "No, this is a huge art." Well, I kind of feel that way about improv. Yes, a little bit because I mean that's something that I've been discussing with my improv groups and everything because I have. I mean, it, improv is in my bones. I know the rules and the parameters of improv. You don't just get up and make stuff up. There are parameters of how to create an improv scene. And some people don't get that. Some people just get up there and go wild. And, you know, like you don't ask questions in improv. You never ask questions in improv. I mean, it's very, very rare that you'll hear a question in improv and it not derail the scene. Mm -hmm. It's, It's just how it is because you have to yes and everything and everybody knows improv is yes and, and everybody knows, you know, that type of thing. But like giving someone a name, it roots them. Explaining where you are in the first, like in the first sentence that you speak on stage, you've initiated a scene. There's initiation, there's an initiator of the scene, and then there's a scene partner. And, you know, there's those rules. You When you step into the scene as the initiator, you give your partner a name, you establish where you are, and you establish the conflict in one sentence. And that's, that's, I mean, that to me, there's rules that are, that are to be followed. Just like in a facial, there's rules to be followed. I mean, you tell me yourself all the time, people say that you give them the best facial they've ever had. Mm -hmm. And if, if there wasn't an art to that, then there wouldn't be an art, you know, there wouldn't be any artisticness. There wouldn't be any way of differentiating between your facial and someone else's facial. Yeah. I would agree with that. What I would tell anybody who's listening is if you're lucky and fortunate enough to find something that you feel like you just love it so much that you want to devote all of your time and energy to it, resist that urge. Because if you do and something bad should happen in your life or in the world and that is taken away from you, you will be left with emptiness and nobody wants that. You know, I hope that that's that's my thing. I wish that everybody could find that thing. That they wake up and look forward to doing every day. And they could make money at it. What a world, you know? What a, what a dream to live mm-hmm. in for everybody. And I do live in that outside of COVID. I just wanted to do so much with it that I did nothing with anything else. So when it got to the point where COVID hit and I had to fill my days with something, I couldn't think of anything. Because not only did I not f- have anything already going on to fill the days with, it never once occurred to me to want to do any of those things. Mm-hmm. So I had I was starting at ground zero with anything, with something that would bring any kind of joy to my life. I'm in that process, you know, like I have stuck with my Japanese ever since I started. I saw today, because you can follow each other on Duolingo, that you're now in the Silver League. You've upgraded to a new league mm-hmm. and you've done a week straight. So good for you. High exactly. Five. High fives. And I started meditating. I don't do it every day. Um, I really enjoyed that. Well, and I don't think that it's necessary to do something every single day. Right. But however, Duolingo, the little shits, they do make you do it every single day because they're like, you've got a 72-day streak. And I'm like, well, damn, I'll be an idiot if I break this streak now. Well, that's something, you know, people you might... You know, they got you. They got you. Hooked. Well, they know what they're doing. But yeah, pe- they do. People might argue about, like, the gamification of it. But I think that's something that benefits from that technique is learning a language. The but more you do it, the more you learn. Me, it is showing me that like it, there is true value in repetition of, of yeah, doing something exactly. you like. And that is showing me that. So, ha, huh, jokes on you, Duolingo. I'm learning stuff in my personal life, too. 
I well, don't know if they're. I don't know. I don't know why I'm upset with them right now. So continue. They're like, congratulations, you're doing what we <laughs> hoped you would do. You want me hooked? I know what you're after. And we're also going through the entire Disney anthology on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And when I say entire, I don't just mean Feature we start film. with Snow White and then we move on to Pinocchio and Dumbo and then Cinderella and blah blah. No, no, no. We're doing. Every victory through every air power, and we're doing feature length yes. film that was ever made. And there's there's about fifty per decade, fifty yep. films per decade, and that's okay. We'll get through it eventually. <laughs> that's okay, you yeah. know, because there's things there was there's things that we're gonna hit. You know, like there's the Parent Trap with Haley Mills, and then we're gonna hit the Parent Trap with Lindsay Lohan at some point, and then we're gonna hit these like there's Tom and Huck, there's Man of the House yeah. with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. There's old Yeller in the six, 60s, 50s, 60s. Um, and then there's just, there's so, every single movie that was produced, that is a Disney movie that had a theatrical release we're watching. And then we're probably going to do the direct-to-videos. Yes. And because we, because like Bambi 2 is a direct-to-video. And so we watched Bambi and then Bambi 2. And then whatever's left over in the direct-to-videos, there's some direct-to-videos like there's DuckTales, a movie, DuckTales direct-to-video. So I'm like, well, we have to watch all of DuckTales before we watch this movie. And then we got to watch the reboot of DuckTales too. So eventually, as cross-sectioned as Disney is, we will probably wind up having seen every single thing that Disney's ever made at some point. The TV animated series, the Disney Channel original movies. There's, there's, because one of the theatrical releases is uh, High School Musical 3. But High School Musical and High School Musical 2 were a Disney Channel original movie. Yeah. So we're going to have to watch the two High School Musicals before we watch High School Musical 3 because it is a theatrical release. And I'm just fine with that. You like High School Musical? I do. Yes. Cool. He's judging me for that. No, I'm not. I'm not. I don't I don't judge anybody for anything that they like. Unless you like Nazis or the Confederate flag. I judge you. Yep. Sorry, go ahead. Um, we're hopefully seeing some progress in the world and especially in this country with COVID. We've got our vaccinations coming. And um my hope and my plan is to carry some of the stuff that I've picked up in the midst of COVID into my post COVID life. Um, and to create sort of a balance like that and not just put so much, I'm super excited to go back to work and devote my energy to that again, but I don't want to devote every ounce of my energy to that again, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, at the same time, I want to strike a happy medium between that and what you were talking about doing, because the thought of just like doing something random until I get it and then moving on from it to do something else random, I don't enjoy that. Just because I don't like the idea, like that's part of the reason why I don't like puzzles is because you spend all this time and all this effort doing a puzzle and then you just take it apart and put it in the box and put it in the in, in the closet. Like I would like to have a result that I hold on to with the things that I do. Yeah. And I don't, I don't do that. I'm not doing anything just to pass the time. Like if I'm going to pick up the crochet needles and start making crochet dolls, I want the ability to continue that as an art. Mm-hmm. If I enjoy it, if I don't enjoy it, I will finish the doll that I'm working on. And if it, if it is the Golden Girls kit, I'm going to get... I can't have Sophia sitting on my shelf if I don't have Blanche Rose and Dorothy as well right next to her on that couch. So I will finish that. But then I won't, if I don't enjoy it, I'm not going to do it again. I'm just going to move on and be like, look what I did. I did this mm-hmm. nice thing. But I just love the idea of making cute little crochet dolls and then giving them out as gifts. Don't you? I mean, I would I would love to see you do that. Okay. Well, I'll put your name on the card. Okay. Oh, my God. The cat's so <laughs> stupid. He just fell off the couch. He sure did. He rolled right off in his sleep. He was being so cute, too. Something else that I've noticed about myself is I focus on one task at a time. Mm-hmm. Like, literally. Uh, well, another hobby of mine is playing Nintendo. And I just, you know, nobody should do that for six hours a day. But I do do it a little bit every day because I enjoy it. And that probably just halved my, view, my listeners because... <laughs> Everybody who plays it, plays it for six hours a day. It's super easy to do. It really is. Uh, So I'm playing a game right now that I just got for Christmas. And before that, I was playing another game that I sort of like got to a stopping point at. And because I picked up this new game, I was like, well, I can't go back and finish the old game until I finish this new game first. (laughs) Like I can't do both at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just, that's just, I don't know. That's the way I do things. So I mean, and that's fine. You do it how you do it, but is there any other hobby that you're looking to pick up and something to bring joy to your life in 
30 seconds or less other than Japan, Japan, Japanese. Um, I mean, I really would like to get back into writing again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm having an issue with my computer uh, and also an issue with money to fix the issue with the computer. <laughs> but we're on a fixed income. As much as I hate handwriting things, I might just pick up a pad and pen and start handwriting. Stuff. I got about 47 of you them because I'm a writer. Uh, just to, you know, get the juices flowing. Mm-hmm. I like that. Thanks for sharing your life with us today. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't want to just come on here and complain about this and then be like, okay, guys, bye. I want to leave people with something. And that's what I want to leave people with Mm -hmm. is strive to create that balance, you know? Yeah. Because if you lose one thing that you're focusing on and you don't fill that with something else, then you will notice how imbalanced that feels. And your loved ones will notice too. They sure will. Sometimes before you. Mm Mm-hmm. Well. I'm 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 anxious to see who will let me know who because I got some some people yeah. who always seem to reach out to me after each episode and tell me they've they've listened and they yada yada. I'm anxious to hear some other people's you know experiences with this because I know you cannot be the only one who's struggling with this through sure. COVID. I mean you just can't because not everybody wants to buy yeast for their bread. Yeah. And, you know, let bread take over their lives or let watercolors take over their lives or, you know, fill their houses with canvases or sheet music. So there's got to be somebody else who's struggling with this. But anyway, thank you for sharing that. And I'll probably have you on again next week so you (laughs) can speak some Japanese at us or something. But that being said, everybody take good care and know that there are two new strains of COVID out there, one in Brazil, one in the UK, and they are saying as of right now, what I've heard, they are a little bit deadlier than the other two or than the other than the original or yeah, the other two, because there was a new strain that was more contagious, not necessarily more deadly. All that to be say, wear your mask, stay at home when you can keep yourself six feet apart from everybody else. And trust the science. Trust the science and know that you are wearing a mask not to protect yourself but others. That's just it. So love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to go the Christian route, karma, whatever you give, you will receive. If you give somebody COVID, you're going to receive COVID. Whatever religious or spiritual practice you adhere to, they, they're, they're telling you, you got to wear a mask, basically. So that being said, take good care and have a good week. <laughs>